Go for it. Hello, and welcome back to 100% Real with Ruby. Today, we have part two with Aaron Scarfi, and we are going to bring up some harsh truths that will unravel a lot of myths that people believe around hormones because it gets to a point especially these days where yeah okay stress is a big thing hormones are a big thing but we get to a point where we blur the line between science and woo-woo because yes hormones do affect a lot but the hormones are a reflection of your lifestyle and your mind, your brain, your mind is in control of a lot of your body as well. So it's getting your body and mind in the right place with your lifestyle. And I guess that kind of leads into our discussion today. I'm going to let Aaron lead it off by talking about hormones in general in the simple sense on how they affect your mood, your libido and life in general. And when someone says that they're making them a complete utter nutter, what that actually means so they don't become the ogre. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me back on the podcast. So hopefully the first one got a pretty good response. So, um, yeah, to, to talk about hormones. I mean, a lot of people, especially on social media, rave about hormones and whatnot. And the funny thing is you can't control your hormones. But there's one if, if there's one thing in your body that you can't control is the production of your hormones you can influence them but you can't control them you can't sort of just tell your brain hey i feel like shit produce more estrogen so i feel better it's not how it works um it'd be cool if it did but uh you, you can't <laughs> so you can influence these sorts of things by you know obviously trying to control your your surroundings and that sort of stuff to put yourself in a better mental state to then help facilitate maybe a bit more production of these better hormones or these hormones that we like for example everyone knows dopamine as the as the happy hormone if you're at a funeral you're not happy so you're probably not going to be producing dopamine but if you go to the gym and you feel good after the workout because you're now in a better mental state you're in a better state to also produce dopamine it's like this cycle be happy, produce dopamine, be happy, produce more dopamine. But if you're sad, you're not going to produce it, right? So when people come out and sort of say, I'm a nutter, how do I fix this? Because it's my hormones. If you haven't been tested, like if you haven't had your blood tests to show, um, you know, potentially your estrogen is low, um, then, you know, it's probably more of a mental thing. It's probably other life stresses going on and they're just sort of being projected and in, the easiest excuse is to always blame something that's out of your control, right? And that's where a lot of this sort of comes from, I think. So blaming things that you can't control, i.e. your hormones. Um, when it comes to estrogen, uh, I feel like a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of females, either don't know or they forget there's actually three types of estrogen that we have, right? We have like E1, E2, and E3. And E2 is estradiol, which is the one that's the most common um for females, you know, leading through their reproductive years and all that sort of stuff, growing up into their reproductive years. You also have one that's called estrone. Estrone is the one that's more prominent at the back end of your, um, basically your reproductive years going into menopause. It's a weaker form of estrogen, but it can convert to estradiol when needed. Um, it's a fairly um, hefty process, 
but it can be done when needed. Because at that end, at, at that time, when you're going through menopause, again, biologically, you don't need to put your, your body in a position to reproduce, right? So it doesn't need the strength of estradiol. You then also have estriol, which is really just pre um, prevalent during pregnancy. So um, basically just prepares the body for having a baby. So that's really only there when you're pregnant, okay? Um, these all have very similar characteristics, but then also have some very, very different characteristics and understanding that these things can also be a play, um, you know, <laughs> would probably make life a little bit easier. So females that are going towards the back end of the reproductive years and into, into menopause is when um, I guess the, the more of the claims of being a little bit more nutty and being a little bit more crazy. And, and there is a fair you know, point to that because there is a transitional period of you know, moving from estradiol to estrone. And if you don't facilitate that to the best of, I guess, your ability from a health perspective, um, you do potentially put yourself at more risk of having a short temper or being a little bit um, overdramatic <laughs> on certain things. Not everybody. Um, and sometimes you don't know when it's happening, right? Because it happens at different times for different, uh, for different people. So just to simply have a blanket statement and say that it's because, you know, you're going through menopause, while I guess me being a male, funny to listen to, <laughs> um, being in the science realm, we kind of know that it, that's not just that. It's potentially that as well as these other factors like life stress. And obviously being a little bit more on high alert, we'll call it, we won't call you nutty, we'll just call you on high alert, um, <laughs> would probably make you a little bit more stressed anyway. And then that has that cyclical effect again of being in an environment where you're causing yourself to be more stressed for no reason. <laughs> and then you're more stressed, you become more high alert. <laughs> and then again, it just keeps rolling around like a circle. <laughs> there, I guess that's a very great way to sum it up in saying it's not just the hormones, it's your approach and your lifestyle. And I guess what you're trying to say, just to clarify it is, yeah, there are these changes happening in here. It may impact you just like when you're going through your menstrual cycle, the changes within that, how that can impact your mood, your health yeah. and mindset and lifestyle in general. And something I can't like batter on about until the cows come home is where are you putting your focus? Is your focus on in the right areas? Because like Aaron described with the whole dopamine loop and the other loop about the... I say nutty because that was the question I got, but by letting that nuttiness stress you and then saying that you're a nutter and then complaining about your stress and then turning into more of a nutter, you're creating your own self-perpetuating cycle. So you're trying to clarify here that health, mindset, lifestyle, all that stuff actually helps the process and women shouldn't really be treated like little fairy princesses in this. No, no, not at all. I mean, I've all, I'm, I'm always of the opinion that females will always be the stronger, more dominant sex because you deal with a lot more shit, especially at a biological and physiological level than we males do. We're very simple. <laughs> like from a physiological standpoint, we're easy. We're, we're the most simple creatures I think on the planet. Females are the complete opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> so, um, you know, props to you guys for dealing with a lot of shit but um i think another thing that a lot of people again and a lot of females either are unaware of or forget about is you know estrogen's partner in crime being progesterone and just the actual positive effects of progesterone i feel like progesterone gets a really bad rap a lot of the time and again progesterone is the one that helps improve mood so a lot of people um, will think that it's actually estrogen and estrogen does play its part 
don't get me wrong, but progesterone is the main culprit for, I guess, mood and being in a positive mood from a hormonal perspective, not necessarily an external environment perspective, but like progesterone is just so big and important. And I think that's also potentially another reason why when you start to move towards menopause, um, that, that mood can be a little bit iffy. And again, we move to that high alert situation. Um, we won't say nutty, uh, to be because of the, the shift in progesterone as your, as you get older effectively. Um, and that's why like a lot, a lot of things actually happen with progesterone. I mean, it really, it's really big on, obviously it's big in your menstrual cycle when it comes to your menses, obviously. Um, but it also helps really regulate blood pressure. So it's like, that's another big thing that it does. So when we speak about, you know, estrogen, we, we need to also keep um, progesterone in the conversation because it does have a lot of benefits. It's not negative um, by any means. It's there as a loop between estrogen and progesterone for a reason, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not about trying to, I guess it's not trying to demonize one or the other. It's realizing that you need to have everything in balance mm -hmm. because you can have one that's normal range, but if the other one is too high, then it it, it doesn't really. Yeah, you go out of whack effectively. When, when you have these two environments, internal and external environments. And as soon as one is out of whack, it's like the easiest way we can look at it is even from an external point of view. When you have one of those days where nothing goes right <laughs> and it just makes you mad and you know, you're getting mad for no reason because it's mostly things out of, out of your control. Like how many of you get to a, a traffic light and it's, you know, green, green, green. Then there's one car in front of you that's slow. You have to be somewhere quick. And then you see it turn bloody orange and you're like, for fuck's sake, that car in front of you just speeds up enough to get through the light and you're stuck at the next red light and you start losing your shit. And you're like, because that that's other factors making you lose your shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of like the, well, it's kind of like the same thing. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm that, I'm that same person. I have the maddest road rage going around, but it's an, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an external out of your control thing. And it's the same thing here with like progesterone and estrogen. The only difference is it's internal. It's an internal thing that you can't you can't control. You can manipulate it and facilitate things to help you know better um, the uh, efficiency of everything that's going on, but you can't control it. You can can't I just say it. right now, stop doing dumb shit. Like this is literally <laughs> yeah. Aaron trying to be really gentle and saying, stop doing dumb shit. Yeah, like except. This is what this is what it is, and then work with it. Don't work against it. Never work against your body. Always try and work with your body. You're going to have a much much better outcome. That's for sure. Yeah. If you scroll down to today's post, which is the fifth of March, you'll actually see the post I put up on wait the fourth of March because I put it up yesterday on you need like why weight loss is failing you because that seems to be the thing that everyone's over about, and it's because people work against their body, and that this perfectly leads into the next question because it's, it's not only working against your physiology, but as we touched on in the last podcast, so many women are not in the mental mind state for fat loss. You need to be ready for it mentally, not just physically. But into the next question, which ties off the last one as well, is the biggest mistakes women make when trying to get, because we all want to look amazing. We all want to feel amazing. But the biggest mistakes women make is that they try to lose fat for too long. They chase a calorie deficit for too long. They cut the calories too low. 
and they do too much cardio. Now, knowing all that we know, including the fact that women mostly under eat protein, how exactly is this impacting their hormones and actually negatively impacting that mood state that, that like the physical, the mental, the emotional? Yeah, so I think the best way we can look at this is metabolism is a moving thing. It's never set. Metabolism doesn't just sort of say, okay, I need to burn 1,200 calories to, you know, basically burn energy. And if I take in less than 1,200 calories and burn 1,200 calories, I'm going to lose fat or lose weight. It's continually moving based on day-to-day life, hormonal fluctuations, especially in females, time of your cycle. <laughs> like we spoke about it, um, I think last podcast, but like, you know, depending on where you are in your um, menstrual cycle can then also influence your metabolism, right? And that's what a lot of this comes down to. So what we have is we have this thing called a metabolism or like a set point where it's, it's a roundabout. We kind of, we, we kind of know it's around here that, you know, your TDE, basically your energy expenditure, your daily expenditure, daily energy expenditure is, you know, X amount. And it's around there. It's not exact, but it's around there. So we can then work out how much energy we need to put in for how much energy we need to move or get out for us to find this equation of um, fat loss. If you've been chronically dieting, which a lot of people, both male and female that I see have, and when I say chronically dieting, I mean, they've been in and out of diets for like three years, four years, five years. Um, That set point just seems to move lower and lower and lower. And what your your body does or your metabolism does is is it adapts. It basically makes that new set point um, work for the body because your body will only ever really do one thing and it's try to stay alive, which I think we were talking about last podcast again. So no matter how much energy you put in, it'll find a way to survive. Like you have to go extremely low for extremely a long period of time to basically die from, you know, not eating enough. Um, so with that set point in place, your body's then going to turn around and say, okay, well, we're going to shut down all these other systems like neat, for example, more, the less energy you have coming in. So the less food you have coming in, the less little habitual movements you do going out, like um, people will tap their pen on the desk. You'll bounce your foot or bounce your knee when you're sitting down. These are all little forms of neat that when you're in an energy surplus, you have all this energy to, to, to burn and you feel good. So your body will do all these things because it's got this energy. When you have less energy coming in, your body's then going to turn around and say like, man, we don't need to do that because we need to preserve as much energy as possible to survive because we don't know when our next energy intake is going to come. So when it comes to fat loss and weight loss, you're probably just not in a position to lose fat or lose body weight yet because your energy is just so low that your body's like, nah, priority first, stay alive. (laughs) We need the fat that we have because that's also going to be converted to energy later if we do not get any energy coming in for a period of time. And that's literally just a an evolutionary thing like that that goes way back to like caveman days when they didn't have five course six course meals they basically had a meal once a day if they were lucky or one every two days and then basically had to store um you know body fat and stuff like that because they're like well your body has just turned around and gone yep i need to hold this as best as possible because i don't know when i'm going to get energy in again yeah it's it's kind of like when people it's kind of like a car as well like when you're driving a car it's as soon as your like your fuel starts to go down the first thing that you're going to want to turn off is your aircon and then whatever else uses the fuel first 
Yeah, it's like, it's an interesting concept. And it's one that I've played with when I speak to clients and when I do podcasts, your body needs a reason to trust you almost. Like your body needs, if you feed yourself four times a day, for example, for three or four months consistently, your body's going to be in a probably a much better position to lose fat. Because guess what? Your body's like, I know I'm going to be getting my meals consistently now. I know I'm going to have hits of energy coming in consistently because it's been happening for three to four months. So you're moving your set point from having one to two meals a day to three to four. And your body's like, okay, I can work with this. We have more energy coming in. We can expend more energy now. We don't need to hold on to so much because we have more coming in to do the basic biological needs like staying alive. (laughs) So, you know, it'll turn around and your body will just be like, ah, okay, we have all this energy. Let's do something with it. Like we can, we can let this go. We don't need to, we trust that you will feed me (laughs) again and give me more energy, but it takes time to build that. So that's why sometimes, you know, if you've been chronically dieting for three, four months, six months, eight months, two years, it's sometimes it's more beneficial to go to a maintenance phase for literally four to six months. And it's like, not, and people don't want to hear that, especially if a client comes to you as a coach and they're like, I want to lose 10 kilos. It's like, cool. How long you been dieting for? Two years. We're not going to lose 10 kilos anytime soon. We're just going to help get you uh, a little bit healthier first and put you in a position to diet. It's like the pre-diet diet. <laughs> yeah, it's so important. Like yeah. I, I have a couple of clients. It'll be funny if they listen to this, but it's so true because they want to tell me all the things I want to hear so I can just put them into a fat loss space. But we know as coaches, the signs to look for, it's like the only person that you are cheating, the only person you are tricking is yourself. Do you want to stay stuck or do you actually want help to get out of your stuckness? Because you need to be honest with your coach, with yourself, so that you can actually get the results you want. Otherwise, you're holding back the process. Like you're prolonging it. You could be like kilometers ahead if you just did the shit now and body needs to feel safe that is the thing that i want to say again the body needs to feel safe and not only is your metabolic set point getting lower but at that lower point your body fat set point is going higher because you're losing muscle mass and your body fat is coming on so it's you that is making it a higher body fat percentage point and people ask me all the time how i built my calories up to where they are now it's like i haven't actually dieted for like over three years so the more that you give your body a reason to trust and you focus on the right things which is what we spoke about in the last podcast focusing on getting stronger focusing on putting on muscle mass focusing on building your body because that's going to facilitate more body comp changes like i'm surprised that mine is actually body comp like i haven't really put on all that much yeah, well, the, the beauty of what you something that you just said there as well, the body will also gravitate towards fat first as an energy fuel source over protein because protein is a much more energy dense process to convert to glucose, right? So gluconeogenesis is a process where we turn your body for no other reason will turn protein into glycogen basically and use it to produce ATP, which is your body's main energy source. Well, one your body's main energy source, basically. Usually we get that from carbohydrates. Well, that that's why we eat carbs most of the time, unless you're keto, but let's not get into that conversation. <laughs> but then so when you're when you move your set point down, your body holds onto body fat because it's easier for the body then to convert fat into energy 
than it is for protein. So your body's like, I don't need protein, i.e. your muscles. I need to basically hold on to as much energy abundant, um, energy abundant sources that I can. And fat holds more energy. So it's easier to convert it something and use that, it. Something that I used to believe for a very long time, which <laughs> the things we used to believe, I used to get told you're more anabolic after a fat loss phase. Yeah, that's true to a point. Like, yeah, you are more anabolic, but anabolic to what? You're going to be anabolic fat muscle. Like anabolic doesn't mean you're getting muscle. Anabolic is a building process. Catabolic is a cutting down process. Are you cutting down fat? Are you cutting down muscle? Are you building fat or are you building muscle? Yeah. It's realizing. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's actually understanding which ones actually requires energy. So building muscle requires energy cutting down muscle releases energy so <laughs> this is a really good place to actually lead into the other part where okay so how does sleep impact this and how about cortisol how about stress how about the parasympathetic and sympathetic which is your stress and your relaxed system and what yes. is the impact of carbs with all of this with the thyroid chucked in yeah i mean th there's a lot there so how does sleep affect this sleep is life so you know, in order of importance to me anyway, sleep is first. If you want to perform optimally, so if you if you want to lose body fat, right, short of diet, your performance in the gym needs to be pretty good. So how do we get really good consistent performance in the gym? Sleep. <laughs> if we want to have optimal, let's say, hormonal function to help facilitate fat loss, what do we need? Sleep. <laughs> like sleep is the king, the you know, the end all and be all of basically all of this without sufficient sleep, everything else downstream. So, you know, food intake, energy expenditure via training, all that basically goes out the door and it ends up being off. How off is dependent on the person and how much I guess sleep you didn't get, but um, <laughs> sleep regulates or helps regulate everything. So from parasympathetic to sympathetic um, nervous systems and, you know, things that are involved in those two systems, as well as then when we look at hormonal cascades and stuff like that, we look at nutri nutrition and basically the effects of nutrition and hormonal cascades on nutrition, as well as training and then training cascades on nutrition and hormones. It's all regulated by sleep. It's just that simple. <laughs> let's pull it all apart because yeah. people do not. Let's pull all of that apart because people don't understand the importance of sleep and how it is the wonder drug. Yeah, well, I put it this way: if I'm sure the listeners uh, easily enough can say, when they haven't had sleep, are they hungry? When you wake up after three or four hours of sleep, do you find yourself eating food? Probably not. Most of the time, you do not have an appetite your appetite is hugely suppressed on a lack of sleep so if you want to check it or test it uh, don't test it i would not advertise i would not advise not sleeping but <laughs> there's probably going to be a point where you have a night where you just don't sleep well have a look sense have a, a feel if you feel like you want to eat and how often you want to eat you'll probably find that it's a lot less and then what happens you get one good night of sleep you wake up and you're starving you're like holy hell where did that come from it's like yeah your body's recovered <laughs> your body's in a much more recovered state and is like yep i've used all the energy i now have to do what i've needed to do and recover give me more energy so i can do my shit the same thing that happens with from a hormonal perspective when hormones are escalated um 
let's use cortisol as the example because cortisol is a really good one. For those listening, if you don't have cortisol, you die. So you need cortisol to live. So cortisol is not a bad hormone. It is a great hormone. It's actually what wakes you up in the morning. <laughs> so um, how spiked it stays or how high it stays post waking up is a big thing. Again, when we have a lack of sleep and you wake up nine times out of 10, if you look at yourself and you're taking check-in photos, for example, how much more watery do you look? And it's because you're holding just that little bit more cortisol and your fluid shift just hasn't, your fluid hasn't shifted in the way it normally would overnight through your sleep. It's just a, literally, it's a, an acute thing. But if you have chronic cortisol elevation, then it's a different story. But the, the, muscle you won't be losing fat or putting on muscle in a, in a chronic cortisol, a high, sorry, a chronically high cortisol state. Because then what we do is we put ourselves in this position of chronic inflammation and chronic inflammation is a lot worse or can be a lot worse, probably a better way to put it, um, for our goals. It's like a hierarchy. You need to be healthy to lose fat or put on muscle. If you're in a chronically inflamed state, you're not healthy. So <laughs> take control and look after health first. So basically work your way down to, okay, now I'm in a position to lose fat, lose weight, put on muscle, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much, cortisol is the easiest example, but it basically works the same with the majority of hormones um, at sleep. Like sleep regulates everything because from what we look at the research and the science, everything moves to a time. Like everything in your body moves to a clock. It's like, we have this, like we have, I don't know if you've ever heard of chrononutrition, for example, if you eat the same foods each day at the same times, we're in a more optimal state. Your hormones basically run on a similar principle. Everything happens at the same time each day, provided everything else is happening at the same time each day. Because your body's just like a clock and it just works around that, that system. So if you have that eight hours of sleep, it wakes up and you, you know, if you go to sleep at 11 p.m., wake up at 7 a.m. every day, then your cortisol should roughly be the same every time at 7 a.m. unless something's happened and tripped it. And again, it's just that feedback loop where when I say feedback loop, literally think of a circle and basically if you, that circle runs efficiently, it all runs beautifully. But if something cuts a line in that circle and opens that circle, it's like, okay, we need to close that circle. And what is it that's opened it and how do we close it? Because then it throws everything off. What is your weak link? What is your bottleneck? That's literally what I, what I said yesterday. Yeah. I like everything yeah. comes down to that and stop just thinking one thing relates to just that one thing, like this circle mentality, this yo-yo mentality, not yo-yo, this cycle mentality relates to literally everything because one yeah. thing feeds into another, which feeds into another. So there is always some type of loop. Is it going to be positive? Is it going to be negative? Now, something I also want to hop on about with the chrononutrition is something I always say, your body craves consistency. Stop mm -hmm. stuffing it up by changing things here, here, there, and the other, because that is holding you back from building muscle, burning fat, and creating a sustainable progress because that is not the primary cause of fat gain or yeah. you're not building muscle, but it is the start of the cascade. So when someone says sleep makes you fat, it's not always... Yeah, okay, lack of sleep makes you fat. It's a cascade of this is the sleep, there's a cascade of things that lead to the outcome. Like it's not one thing equals the other. It's one thing 
Yeah. It's like it goes through that warp of whatever chemistry Spanish it goes through and then it comes yeah. out. And another thing is a lot of people, I think they will look at, they'll look up to people and like sort of from like a physique standpoint, right? Um, sometimes even from like a lifestyle standpoint, but they'll be like, oh, I like as a female client, they're like, I want to look like her. Like, what does she do? And it may not be, you know, one that's basically photoshopped on Instagram. It may actually be just a real person that's only got 3000 followers. And it's like, huh, like that is a genuinely real person <laughs> and she looks great. And I want to look like her. It's like, yeah, if you were to ask her probably about her training, just her training, for example, she'll probably tell you that she trains on the same time each day of the week or whatever it is. So she might train four days a week, but she'll probably tell you that she trains at 10 a.m. four days a week. That there is such a small, minute detail that makes such a big difference because we're looking at that consistent timeline across the week and training and having every consistency with training every day, right? Or those four days, sorry, that she trains. That same time allows then, and sorry, facilitates everything else to go around that training. So if you know you're going to train at 10, you know you can have your meal at 12, for example, 12.30, you know that you can have you know this gap in between and you can have your next meal at six or whatever it is. You're doing that four or five days a week. Your body gets used to that. Your body's like, okay, I know when I can now optimally produce certain hormones because I know that I'm going to get an energy hit around this time to do the next lot of energy abundant things. And as soon as you take that away, that, that's when the body's just like, oh, shit, what, what's going on? This is what I'm not used to. Like, help. <laughs> i got two things to say here. One is an example of me. So I train Monday to Thursday. I have rest days Friday to Sunday. Now... I usually eat my first meal. Do, guys, please, can I just caveat this? Do not copy what someone else is doing just because you want someone else's body because you can eat and train the same way but not have their body. Okay, done. <laughs> but, like, I eat my first meal at around 5 a.m., 5.30. I eat my next meal. I train at the same time every single day. I come home, do the same thing every single day, which is usually walking on my walking treadmill really slow, doing whatever I need to do for my time block for work that day. And then at around 12, 31 o'clock, depending on how much work I have to do, I eat my second meal. Like it might not, that probably is not ideal, but I'm in a surplus of a lot of calories. So meal timing isn't as crucial. I have an abundant source of protein, carbs. My body is able to actually process it through the day. That's not going to be ideal if I'm in a diet, of course. I just wanted to say that because you're probably looking at me like that's not ideal. I'm like, yeah. No, that's it's <laughs> yeah. each it's each each to their own because we can have these standards in place, but not any one person is standard. So, and it's a big conversation I have in the training world when we talk about biomechanics and, you know, people are like, when they standardize exercise form and it's like, well, how do you, ex how do you standardize form when humans aren't standard? So um, it's the same principle just because you may not follow the prerequisites that are guided by the research doesn't mean it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the same for anyone listening. It's like, you know, we can spit out all this stuff to you, but at the same time, you need to make what works work for you. And that's the, the hierarchy in place. So it's like, if you can get all your calories and macros in for the day, get them in. Don't worry about when they get in, just get them in. And then we can look at, okay, now we can create a routine or a systemized approach where, okay, we can start to spread these a little bit because we can find these consistent times every day to put these macros in. And it's just, a, it's literally just step-by-step, step. but it's again, order of priority and order of priorities, just get your food in. <laughs> Shit. If you have to get 3000 calories in one meal per day, do it. 
I wouldn't suggest it. I mean, it's a lot of fun, but don't do it. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's what you do. Have you heard Luke say most people can't walk and chew gum at the same time? So why yeah. would you want to complicate it more? Like until you have the basics in place, don't worry about optimizing it. Like what I do exactly. if you're on a diet, copy it all you want. If that's the way that you can sustain what you're doing and not overeat later on. But back to what I was saying about that thing is I have a whole block in the morning where I do that. And then I eat that later meal. On my rest days, I probably could be hungry in between 5 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. because I'm not away. I don't come home. I don't do other stuff. I'm not busy. I'm not occupied. I could easily be eating in that period of time. But my body is so used to my routine. I eat at the same times, same time frame every single day. I do the same shit daily. My body responds the same way on my rest days as it does on my non-training days. I don't change, I don't do carb cycling. I don't do that crazy bullshit. I don't complicate the process. I eat the same shit every day around the same times, do the same things. My body responds, even though my routine is not the same on the weekend. But also back on the sleep note, don't screw it up by changing your sleep pattern completely on weekends. Like you need consistency there too. You can change it here and there, but the more that you try to shift it, the later that you try to sleep, the more that you try to sleep in, you can skew things up and I'm sure you can double that on them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, let's look at the, the other side to the argument, I guess. We're humans, right? People have lives. This isn't the end all and be all. I mean, for us, probably this is the end all and be all because we have no other thing. Nothing, 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 nothing else to do with our lives. That's just how we are. <laughs> you know, we, we nerd out on computers and we t- tell people effectively how to do things optimally. But at the same time, we do ha- the people that we are telling do have lives. So like, good on you guys because... I, I am envious of you having a life, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, you're going to get to a weekend and you're going to have a birthday. Yeah. It's going to go late. Yep. You can't get to bed at 10 PM, like your regular time. That's okay. Acute things happening is not a bad thing. It's when they become chronic or the new norm. That's when everything gets shifted out of whack. So, um, when we look at acute things, we're talking about things that happen once every now and then. So it's kind of like the thing with alcohol, for example. It's like, sure, if you're an alcoholic, it's probably going to be really bad for your fat loss and you know muscle building journeys. If you have one drink once a week, eh, it's not going to do much. Let's be real. Like there's there's a difference, and it's as always the devil's in the dosage, and that's the same with sleep. So you can it, it, the biggest thing I come across with sleep is like night shift workers they're they're the trickiest ones to play with like when it comes to sleep and trying to regulate sleep when you have three days overnights four days four days normal man it's a minefield but we can put things into place to try and optimize that as much as possible right and it's the same thing when we have something like that where it's chronic because you're going to have three days every week of overnights versus I got to bed really late because I was watching a sport that was on overseas and it was on at 2 a.m. and I to 4 a.m. So what do I do? I mean, you can make it up with naps during the day, the next day, if you really wanted to, just to get total sleep in. I wouldn't. I would just say stay awake so that you can basically reset the clock and that day is just going to be a little bit shit. <laughs> but that's just how I roll, right? For those of you that weren't actually watching what Aaron was saying, the first part he said about taking naps was for the chronic, that constantly yeah. have that. But then he was pointing to the person that does it one off. You don't want to do that. You want to try and stay awake. Yeah, you want to keep it as regular as possible always. And that's kind of the the point. Um, You know, so again, we do have people that have social lives and do things and that's cool. Again, 
out of six out of seven days, if you can get six consistent and one not, win. You've done very well. Yeah. It's when you have maybe three and three, or if it's two good nights sleep and five really bad, you're like, okay, we, we need to address this and get on top of this ASAP and try and make this work for you as best as possible. I like that you pointed that out because I, I try to say this whenever someone provides feedback. It's like, yeah, cool. That's one off. Don't worry about it. Stop stressing about it. Like if you're complaining about your digestion or pooping one day, I don't care. That's one day. If it becomes a trend, now we need to talk. Like don't, yeah. you're creating a worse loop let's go back to the loops by freaking out about that one measure so don't let that impact anything i do want to touch Mm -hmm. on something you said about the whole sleep thing is someone who has a really shitty mentality around just wanting to lose weight they might be like yes no sleeping i'm gonna lose my appetite i'm not gonna eat i really want i really want to actually talk about the quarter it goes back it goes well it goes back to the set point not even so much the cortisol. So yeah, cortisol's up. Um, basically, that ruins your appetite as is anyway. And it's part of the reason why your appetite is ruined is because you haven't had enough sleep and because your, your cortisol is up, it inhibits uh, appetite. It actually inhibits, I want to say it inhibits ghrelin. I have to check that. I've got a feeling, it, I can never remember which one. I've got a feeling it's ghrelin that it inhibits. But anyway, it's why your appetite is shit <laughs> on days that you don't sleep. But again, if you were to use, if you were to follow what you just sort of said through and that mentality, like, okay, I'm not going to sleep because I'm going to have an appetite suppressant. Well, then your set point still comes down and triggers down. So it doesn't change because at the same time, without sleep, you have less energy to want to actually move. So there's two sides to the energy equation. There's in and out. And so many focus on the in and never focus on the out. If you don't sleep, you do not want to expend energy. Your body is going to tell you, no, I'm too tired to do this. And how many times have you used the excuse? I'm too tired to go to the gym. Like that's exactly right <laughs> because you're not sleeping. Sleep, you'll have enough energy to want to go to the gym. And then you have that dopamine feedback where you feel really good because you went to the gym and completed something. So, you know, win-win for everyone. I, I, I don't really <laughs> get very science in this, but if you, like, if you think about the way the body makes ATP slash energy, if your body isn't able to effectively use that system, like if you can dumb down this whole like PNS, the sympathetic system, the stress system, if your body isn't able to effectively use that energy, how you like, because you need to effectively create that energy through burning fat and burning carbs sufficiently in that, in that like cycle. But then if you're not able to use that system, system effectively because of the high stress and the chronic inflammation, how that can then lead to you not actually, I guess, tapping into burning fat and using fat the same way. Well, yeah. Okay. A, a good example with this would be, let's look at your car, right? When your car is ready to be serviced and you turn the ignition on and you can hear it and it sounds like it's about to blow up. <laughs> You're like, huh, that's on its last legs. I probably should get that looked after. Same thing with the body. Your body is going to give you a ton of signs as to when it's ready to break. And when I say break, I don't mean get injured. I just mean that you're basically going to pop off and be like, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel weird and something's not right. When we look at sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, it's fight and flight. So basically that's the parasympathetic, oh, sorry, that's the sympathetic nervous system. Parasympathetic is when we want to relax, Right. For you to be in this optimal position to diet, lose fat, gain muscle, we want to be in the parasympathetic as much as possible 
outside of the times that we need to be aroused. When do we need to be aroused? In the gym, probably working because we need to have some mental alertness and all this sort of stuff. That's when energy production becomes very important. We need the energy to be produced to be in an aroused state. Again, like you said, comes from sort of fats and carbohydrates, right? If you don't have a sufficient energy source coming in because you haven't slept because you're really tired and now you have no appetite, guess what? You're probably not going to be in a very aroused state. So what do most people do? And this can lead into your next topic. They drink coffee <laughs> because what does coffee and caffeine do? Makes you arouse, it makes you alert <laughs> and gets you into this mental state, <laughs> right? So we have all these different things that come into place. Now, why do that when you could have literally fixed that entire chain of events with a night's sleep? Just think about that, like all those things that happen <laughs> and that's not even like from a biochemical process because that's a whole different story again. You could have fixed that with one good night of sleep. That was it. That, that, that's why sleep is king. That there is no ifs or buts, no questions. Anyone can argue with me on that and I will still ruin their lives because sleep is king. Yeah, the, um, the caffeine, it's, it's like a cascade where you're just band-aiding what's going on underneath and the mm -hmm. more that you band-aid what is going on underneath it's going to get worse and worse and that's when the whole biochemical process comes in where your hormones do get out of whack but you can't blame the hormones what did we just say is the issue it's your lifestyle mm -hmm. and you just want to fix your hormones which is still slapping a band-aid on it instead of trying to look to what yeah go and the thing is you <laughs> Hormones is a micro aspect to a macro concept. So hormones is one little facet of the entire picture, if that makes sense. Take care of the picture. The micro will look after itself. Really, really straightforward. A lot of people will be like, nah, I need to fix these certain little things. And then the bigger picture will be better. Sometimes that helps. If you're trying to fix something out of your control, and like, where's the logic? There's, there's no sense in that. Fix the, the macro. What's the macro for that particular scenario? Sleep. If you fix your sleep, guess what happens to your hormones? They regulate more efficiently and become better at doing what they need to do. And it's really like that that simple. And it's annoying that it's that simple. <laughs> it, it, people almost don't want it to be that simple. So they try to yeah. find the... Yeah, of course. And yeah. Like, it's really easy to fall into that trap because there's so many people talking about like your gut does this, your hormones do that. Like, yeah, they mm. do, but you're looking in the wrong direction to sort it mm. out. Like, yes, that stuff needs to be sorted, but not the way they're saying it needs to be sorted. And then there's yeah. people that are now... Like it's like this trend to start bashing on coffee and caffeine and especially having it on a fasted stomach, which is the next topic we're going into. But you need to realize that there is like a chicken and an egg, but it's never really about the chicken or the egg. It's yeah, about sure. the farm that the chicken and the egg are on. Like you need to look, I just, I don't know where that came from, but it's. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, everyone wants to talk about caffeine and I don't know why. I mean, I've grown up with caffeine. I think I've had coffee since I was five. I'm Italian. That's just what we do. Like, I don't know. From a, from a performance perspective, we know that caffeine's really, really good, right? Um, 
why it gets such a bad rap. And I, I haven't actually seen, again, like we were speaking off, off camera, I don't deal with the type of clientele I guess you do. So I don't see a lot of this stuff. So it's really interesting that it, it comes across. And I guess I can kind of understand why people would think that, you know, caffeine can sort of screw your hormones, but it's kind of like everything can screw your hormones. <laughs> so it's like, there was that time when everyone was like, don't use plastics in a microwave because phytoestrogens and it makes it really bad for you. And it gives guys boobs. And it's kind of like, Just yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, there were so many things that came out. Like what, why? And caffeine, caffeine's primary function was literally to create alertness like that's what it does i mean besides being an amazingly tasting drink like don't get me wrong i love coffee <laughs> i'm gonna add another myth to this that okay so we're gonna like there's caffeine people say that it stuffs your hormones up if you have it as breakfast or you have it without any food but then there's the taking it even further people are saying if you're drinking from a plastic mm -hmm. cup the plastics in the cup that you're drinking are gonna create yeah. like hormones yeah this like, yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I remember when the whole phytoestrogen thing was a thing. Um, it's not. I mean, by, by definition, if you looked at every bodybuilder that eats out of a plastic container out of a microwave, they'd all have big boobs. Like, I'm talking like guys having girls' boobs and they don't. They kind of have very muscular chests. So it's kind of like, eh. So, you know, we can always look at research versus anecdote and see the difference, but that's a different conversation. Caffeine's an interesting one. So caffeine's a uh, vasodilator. So basically what it, what it does is it um, increases blood flow. So with the increase of blood flow, we have all these like nutrients and stuff in the blood that would be getting out, you know, to different muscles, different organs, different energy systems, all that sort of stuff. Because basically blood's the pathway to everything, right? Can it affect your hormones? I mean, sure. It'd be stupid to say that it can't. Because that, that's not how I work. I, I don't work with a blanket statement. Can it? Sure. If you are a healthy individual, there is a very, very good chance that you will be perfectly fine having coffee. If you are a slightly unhealthy individual, there's still a, probably a very good chance that caffeine's not going to affect your hormones. Now, if you're absolutely insanely unhealthy and you shouldn't even be drinking coffee well it's a different conversation <laughs> but again let's deal with the majority of people i think that those that are concerned about it sort of affecting your hormones when it really doesn't um it, it's just got so many positives and the only negative or the, ne the only side effects anything really has is based on its dosage so if you have too much caffeine, sure, that can be really bad. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you know, you can elevate your heart rate for too long of a period. You can have elevated levels of cortisol. You can have adrenaline kicking through. Like, you know, we have all these other things that come out from a high heart rate that was caused by the caffeine. It's not necessarily the caffeine causing the actual things to happen. It's just causing the heart to do more. And that as its cascade effect it would be like high cortisol or high or whatever. It puts you into that same loop that we were talking about with the high stress and you make it harder to actually, over time, this isn't acute, like it's fine for a little while, but over time that can lead to you not seeing the results that you want because it'll blunt your appetite and then your set point is going to come down, your metabolic set point is going to come down, your fat set point is going to go up and you're creating the whole same cycle because you're trying to blunt your appetite with caffeine so that you stop eating because you want to lose weight as fast as possible. 
So then you're losing muscle and then you're putting on fat. And I just wanted to reiterate that because there are people that suppress their appetites with caffeine. That is different to having caffeine on an empty belly because you just want to. Yes, it's funny because I do I do know that the research suggests or says that caffeine's an appetite suppressant. I've just never experienced it. <laughs> so I forget, I forget it. Like I forget that it's genuinely an appetite suppressant because I've never experienced personally the appetite suppression from caffeine. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I can drink, yeah. Like, anyway, it's just that's a funny, funny thing. For me, like there are many other appetite suppressants which I will not divulge because they're only tricks of the trade when it comes to bodybuilding. <laughs> that's the thing, like. I, I, a lot of things are also mental like people say okay same with the men like menopause say well yeah same like the menopause thing we said but same like the menstrual cycle thing like if you there was a study where in pregnancy they tested people in what like the american population and then in like the asian or european or whatever the people in that area craved freaking chicken while they were pregnant the other ones craved sugar like it's a matter of what you're brought up to believe and same with the chocolate thing like there was the same study where one wanted savory up in the top area of the world and the americans wanted chocolate like yeah, well, you're a product of your external environment and what you were raised to believe like stop mm -hmm. blaming it on your hormones stop blaming it on the fact that oh i'm in like yeah okay it does have some sort of influence but once again lifestyle mindset get your focus right don't friggin' deprive yourself and starve yourself because that makes things worse. But I, I guess with all of this hormone talk, we can sum up that before we go into the PCOS stuff and that other insulin sensitivity stuff with clearing up some estrogen dominant myths, which kind of touch on the. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess what myths are we, are we looking at? Do we have any in mind? Because again, estrogen dominance, is pretty straightforward in that we have a balance of estrogen progesterone and it was also a, an, a balance between estrogen progesterone and testosterone in females especially in the reproductive years so when we say the reproductive years we mean when you do have an, a menstrual cycle so you know not menopause and not prepubescent um if you have a higher estrogen or a higher progesterone they can be shown and through side effects and well, sorry, they can be shown through different side effects. Um, things like, you know, if you have a higher estrogen, you may be spotting and stuff like that, which could, it could be, it, it never, it's never definitive because there's just so much variance and nuance to it. So you need to be able to sort of identify and go, oh, okay, it could be this, or it could be that I ate really weirdly for the week. <laughs> so it's like, again, provided everything is the same and equal, if we have one that's more dominant than the other in terms of these hormones, it will present itself and it'll be, you will have something that's irregular. You may have a shorter period, for example, like a, you might have a longer period, depending on if it's estrogen or progesterone. Um, you know, they, these are the things that we look at, but when it comes to actual estrogen dominant myths, I haven't really come across any, so it's not my thing. So Again, if you have if you have any, I'm pretty sure I can answer them. I'm gonna just blabber out some stuff and then you can touch on it. It's if you look up my podcast and type in Eric Bastillo, B-U-S-T-I-L-L-O. Mm -hmm. This is for you guys listening as well. You'll hear that in that podcast, I touched on the fact that blood tests are just showing you a spot in time, and it's not actually like when blood tests show something is off. It is usually because it is like 
it's not something that you just want to band-aid or fix with a pill because as soon as you start regulating that your body is doing that because it's a protective mechanism for something else that is going on in your lifestyle so mm-hmm. it's something that i see way too often with this estrogen dominance and this hormonal imbalance is that people look at these blood tests as okay now we need to address this and treat you like a little princess while we're addressing these things and go through like this hormonal gut protocol blah 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 it's like yeah there is a certain way to address these but realize that that is happening because of other stuff and like Aaron said you can extend on this but like Aaron (laughs) said you're focusing on the little puzzle pieces versus the whole picture yeah so when it comes to blood tests for um, estrogen dominance that that's it's interesting because it's probably the the easiest way to identify it right because it's pretty hard to lie on a blood test so um with that in mind though like you said you do have different phases of your menstrual cycle so the trick is to get blood tests done at roughly the same time each part of your cycle right so it's like if you want to get it done on week two for example of your menstrual cycle so you know or the day after your men's is finished you'd have to do that consistently for like three months in a row or three cycles in a row depending on how long you're you know, your actual menstrual cycle is, right? So that will give you a clearer picture as to what's happening. But at the same time, you also need to realize what's happening in that particular time of the cycle. So it's like, if you're going to go look for estrogen dominance and you're going to get tested each time you get your menses because it's the easiest time to work out when to get your bloods, which is totally fair enough, you need to understand that your estrogen is probably going to be through the roof anyway because it's cementes. That's when your estrogen's at its highest. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you really need to pick the time. Um, and if you, what I always suggest to, to female clients um, and consults, if you want to check for estrogen, progesterone dominance, outside of looking at yourself physically, whether it be, you know, spotting and all that sort of stuff or shorter or longer than usual uh, cycles. If you want to do it via blood tests, try, if you can try and go literally in the middle, (laughs) whatever the middle of your cycle is, whether it be 30 days and you go at day 15, whether it's, you know, 40 days and you go at day 20, like that's when you want to try and get in because that's in theory when everything is sort of leveled. So it's like estrogen's level, progesterone level and testosterone levels are basically flat. Like they're exactly where they need to be for a period of time before they start to move again and shift. And Something that I want you to talk about as well is when people get blood tests, why do you usually go and get a blood test? Like it's usually because you're feeling really shit or because something is going chaotic in your life. Like I realize that when people want to go get blood tests, it's because they're feeling shit. Like whatever that blood test is going to spit out is not something that you just need to be like, oh my God, I need to supplement this. I need to do this to fix that. It's you went to get that blood test for a reason. Obviously, you know that something in your lifestyle is wrong that needs to be addressed because that is what is going to fix that, not giving it a pill and a Band-Aid. But yeah, that, that can kind of like help in this short term. But are you going to, like, I, I know that when people continuously have like, they're in a really high stress environment and they're like, I feel really shit. My energy is low. I'm going to go get a blood test to check this, to check that. And it's like, you're checking to see if something is wrong with your blood because you feel like shit because everything you're doing is what is making you feel like shit. Like it, it doesn't line up, like fix that shit. It's because you're stressed out. It's because you're not sleeping. It's because you worry about whatever Tom Dickenary says that you don't even like, you don't even know what's going on, but 
because you mentioned estrogen, same with cortisol, like stop getting your cortisol tested in the morning because it can be high because it's supposed to be high in the morning. Yeah. Usually when you get cortisol checked because they usually do it on fasting and you have to do blood tests on fasting, you're going to do it first thing in the morning, right? Makes the most sense. So um, with blood tests in general, there's a few different things that we can look at when it comes to blood tests and I guess why to take them. I guess, and also, sorry, for, for general population, right? So one health check, there's no reason why getting a blood test once every eight to 12 months is going to be bad. There's, there's no reason, like it's good, like get it done. It's always good to be on top of your health regardless, right? Just even if it's a generic test, just, you know, nothing specific, just to say, hey, we, we can see that you're, you're healthy and you're continually being healthy. So everything that you're doing in the 12 months or eight months or whatever it is leading up to your blood tests would suggest what you're doing is working from an internal health perspective. So at least we know that you're good on the inside. The other thing is sometimes with the right client, if you're trying as a coach to get them to implement certain things and it's just like not getting through, <laughs> which happens, sometimes a little suggestion go, hey, when's the last time you had a blood test? And usually the answer is I've never had one or it's been, it was 1994 and it was a summer's evening or something like that, right? It's, you know, who knows? Sometimes getting them to get a blood test just pushes them in the right direction because then they get the results and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I need to get on top of some things and fix some things. You know what I mean? So it's like we can use it to our advantage and it's to their advantage because, well, they're getting their health checked anyway. So it's like a, a you know a double-edged sword where we can be like, yep, cool. I know that you're not implementing anything I'm suggesting. I need you to look at your own health go get some bloods. Let's have a look at what's happening. Oh, look, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> now you're ready to get on top of everything because you've now had that self-realization that maybe I need to get on top of things because it says it on a piece of paper. Yeah, it's it's a good realization for a lot of people that shit needs to get sorted. And we all try to find the quick fix and that can sometimes actually make it worse. So you need to realize that a pill a fad diet, like we all spoke, like like we spoke about before, that's just going to make the whole thing worse. So really look at the approach that you take because you can either take yourself further away from even taking that first step, even though you think you're taking all of these steps, or you can actually start taking the right step in the right direction. Now, I guess we can sum it all up with this whole PCOS chat and mm-hmm. how, I guess, you don't need to cut carbs out for PCOS. That's probably something we can talk about. And when someone is told they can't get pregnant and all these other, th- like all these things around PCOS, how to manage nutrition around that. And I guess the biggest thing is beating insulin sensitivity, which means you can actually build muscle and burn fat more effectively, efficiently. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is an interesting one. So with let's talk about the the muscle building first because that's just the last thing that you said <laughs> um, and it's it's an interesting one most of the time so when we i think we spoke about it briefly last time when we look at uh, pcos polycystic ovary syndrome we have three three identifiers we have cysts on the ovaries we have um the imbalance of testosterone so we have usually higher androgens and the last one escapes me in my head right at the second, but there is a third one. I can't remember what the identifier is. Um, it'll come back to me, I'm sure. Anyway, so 
looking at the androgen side of things, <laughs> androgens are really good for building muscle. So if you if you do have PCOS um, and it's been, you know, um, clarified by blood tests to show that your testosterone is higher than the average for a female, which isn't very much to begin with, um, you're in a very prime position to be in strength sports, <laughs> for, for example. So powerlifting, bodybuilding, um, these sorts of things where you're going to be able to express strength and build muscle. Like that's usually a good thing, right? Um, and then you also get some of the positive effects of having a little bit more testosterone. Now you also do get some of the side effects, maybe like a little bit more hair than usual and all that sort of stuff. But usually it's limited to that. It's very rare that you'll get, unless it's extreme, obviously, that you'll get like the the voice and all that sort of stuff. And which not to say that it doesn't happen because it can, but it's usually just more like a little bit of body hair compared to most females, I guess. Um, what was the other things that you had suggested? Sorry, there was, yeah. that was just the one that caught me because it's like strength coach, strong strength. Yes, talk about yeah. muscles. But this is actually the good thing because a lot of people think that they can't train the same way or that they need to train differently or that they're broken, whatever it is, people believe that they need to do things completely different because they have PCOS. But if anything, you have a better advantage to actually build that muscle, which leads into the insulin sensitive debate and how... You can that eat was carbs. The th Sorry, that was the third insulin sensitivity. Anyway, I knew there was one. I was thinking they're like, that's, they're the three identifiers. Insulin sensitivity, higher androgens, and the um, cis on the ovaries. Glad we got there. Um, that was really going to piss me off. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess then when we look at the insulin sensitive side of things. So the, the reason being you are, not the reason being, the original thought was no carbs or the minimal carbs for uh, PCOS clients because you're insulin sensitive. So you're not able to utilize carbohydrates. You're not able to utilize glycogen. It's just going to spike your blood sugar and potentially spike your blood insulin. And it's just going to make things worse for you. You're just going to continue to put on fat because apparently if you have high insulin, you're going to put on fat. You don't. Insulin's a transport fucking thing. It's a transport hormone. It doesn't make you fat. So don't, I can get into a whole argument about that because it burns my soul when people say oh my insulin's are really high that's why i'm that's why i'm fat it's like no you're fat because you eat a lot of food address um, but... that thing a little bit more because a lot of people are <laughs> really scared of insulin so let's just insulin 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 spikes every time you eat food so when you eat food insulin has to spike because you have an influx of energy and what does insulin do it transports energy in the blood system in, the, in your blood. That's what it does effectively. So yes, insulin will rise, but it also rises when you have a steak. <laughs> like it's not just carbohydrates. You have a protein shake, your insulin goes up and it's acute. Acute hormone response means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Um, it's very, very normal. It's the same thing for the males. It's the same thing when people are like, oh, my IGF-1 and testosterone goes up when I lift weights. Yeah, for like an hour <laughs> and then it goes back down and it has no effect on building extra muscle and all that sort of stuff, right? It's the same thing with nutrition. Having an acute spike in insulin does not make you more fat. It's not how it works. It's up because you now have energy coming in that needs to be shifted and moved around the body to different organs, different energy systems and blah, 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 which is what insulin helps facilitate. Yeah, and here's the thing is... <laughs> you actually are in a place where you're building muscle and focusing on everything we did in our last podcast, which is fueling yourself, not chronically dieting. 
A healthy body is a responsive body. You're going to increase your insulin sensitivity through movement, through building muscle, and insulin can actually help you build muscle and lose fat if yeah. you're insulin sensitive. If you're insulin resistant, no. But that isn't because you're eating too many carbs. It's because you're sedentary and you have a shit lifestyle. Like, Pretty much. And the thing is, it's like we say devils in the dosage. So with those that have PCOS, they just tend to usually have a little bit either too much or not enough insulin. And then on the inverse, it'd be too much or not enough blood glucose. Usually it's more blood glucose, right? So they're going at the blood test and they're like, oh, blood glucose is through the roof. It's like, okay, we know what's happening. We know that we can potentially mitigate this. And the first thing that they always give is metformin, which is like one of the safest drugs ever on the planet um, and pretty low grade. It doesn't really do, there's no real side effects, to be honest. Like. There are those that experience it, but it's very, very rare, right? And that's the first sort of front line. The thing that we can do as coaches is help, but by helping is literally trying to affect lifestyle change. So depending on the client, depending on where they're at, where they when they come to you and that sort of stuff, we can look at potentially shifting their metabolic set point by explaining, hey, this is going to suck for a little bit. You're not going to be able to do what you want to do for a period of time, but we're pre-prepping you for the real fun stuff that we want to get into later. And it's that same argument we had at the start where or the same comments we had at the start where it's like, you're just not ready to do what it is you want to do yet, but let's get you to the point where you are ready. And it just may be with someone that's got PCOS, it may take a little bit longer. No, you don't have to cut carbohydrates. No, you don't have to do, I don't know, X, Y, and Z. I don't even know what people do for PCOS. My PCOS clients, I treat them the exact same as any other female client. <laughs> like there's no difference. Exactly. <laughs> like There is no difference. Stop thinking there is no, that you need to be treated yeah. differently because you're holding yourself back yeah. by thinking things need to be different. Yeah, there's no difference whatsoever. It's purely just saying, hey, you have been chronically under eating for 10 years. We're going to get you back to a phase where, like we said, your body's like, okay, I'm getting energy regularly now. Now I can do what I want to do. I'm going to say that as something I see a lot. People that have PCOS because doctors are twerps. When, like, honestly, doctors are twerps. They don't know their shit when it comes to PCOS. You need someone who's a specialist in the area if you want proper advice on this if they're going to tell you you need to get like weight loss surgery or whatever the hell like actually see a specialist and don't jump on i've heard someone get put on a keto diet because they had picos and yeah. get put on like a hundred calorie a thousand calorie diets like most people with picos exacerbate their symptoms because they've been chronically dieting and underfueling their lifestyle for long periods of time because the advice they got was shit because the social media they follow is shit. So, yeah. and, it, and again, it also comes down to a lot of people trying to control what's uncontrollable, which was, again, the, the premise of the start of the conversation that it's an internal thing that you physically can't control. Sure, you can, yeah, surely, sure, you can get, you know, surgery to remove some of the cysts. It's been shown that it doesn't really do much most of the time. Sometimes it does. Most of the time it doesn't. Um, you can be put on, you know, some prescription drugs, which is all, which, which help. And then that allows you to then do more. It doesn't mean that um, you need to like follow people on Instagram who think that they know what they're talking about and listen to what they're doing. And then giving yourself the reason you're justifying it to yourself as to why you're not achieving a result. You're like, okay, you found something to blame. And 
it's not necessarily the client's fault either because they simply don't know any better. And that that's completely fair enough. And it's really hard, obviously, to divulge um, and, you know, dig through who's right, what's right on social media. It's social media. Like, <laughs> there's always extremes, right? So the first thing that they go to is go to a doctor. And yeah, like you said, most doctors don't really have a clue. And their duty of care is really just to basically keep you healthy so it's like okay here's a drug because we know that this does work with most of the people so it should hopefully work for you come back in six months let's have a test like that's kind of their job I again as much as I I I don't really blame them to be honest um I used to I used to get really mad because I felt like doctors didn't know shit and it's like well once you understand what their actual job is (laughs) it's kind of like okay this makes sense so yeah finding a specialist and I guess the doctor's duty of care is maybe to suggest a specialist if it's extreme at the same time you'd probably find like you said most people exacerbate their own symptoms it's probably because they're just trying to justify in their head that they can't get to where they want to be and they're going to blame it on something internal that's out of their control because it's easy to blame it. Say that again. It's important. Blaming it on something you can't control. (laughs) If you're justifying to yourself where you're at and why you can't get to where you want to be and you're blaming it on something that you can't control. That's, and that's a hard thing. Like it's not fair. It's not fun. Um, But with the right coaching, I think, and the right people. Um, So sometimes coaches just don't know, like it happens, Uh, but hopefully yeah, hopefully the right coach also has a good, you know, a network around them where they can bounce off and say, hey, I've got this, I've got that. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? That's what I said. Like, so, I have a full toolbox. I might not have all the tools in there, but I know people that can fill the empty spaces if I need them to be filled. And yes. that's the beauty of it all. If, oh, I just want to say, please don't seed cycle. That stuff's bullshit. Okay, cool. Back to the conversation. Seed, seed cycle. Have you not heard of seed cycling? I have no idea. So you apparently have to eat a certain way and you have to change the seeds that you eat every single cycle that you go through on your menstrual cycle. So in one part, you have to eat like pumpkin seeds and like this seeds and that seeds. And on the other one, you have to eat this because it's really good for this, this, this. And like, you know, you could just eat a lot more protein, a lot more vegetables and get the same effect without being a woo-woo, witchery, whatever the hell. Yeah, I've never said, yeah, I've never heard of that. That, that That's new. It's everywhere on my newsfeed sometimes it's just like you have to sink your seed you have to sink your nutrition with seeds to your cycle like fuck off sorry i told yeah. you we're gonna be brutally honest this podcast because there's so much bullshit out there people believe it because they don't know any better and it it grinds our gears as coaches yeah the the biggest thing is a lot of the things when we when it comes to fat loss muscle gain provided the individual is healthy or relatively healthy right let's say that there's no real crazy uh, health implications it's really straightforward it's re- it's a really simple process it's kind of like eat well when eat in balance train well train hard sleep well get good quality sleep really it like there's not much more to it and do that consistently for days on end months on end years on end and you will see a result people don't want that people want it now and then again find all these justifications and things to to why they're not getting what they're getting or why they can't get what they get and it's kind of like okay i mean you can look at it that way if you choose to and again that's completely your choice however I do this for a living. Like I can give you a hundred coaches that will tell you the same thing. It's just eat well, sleep well, train well. It's and not what they want to hear. 
Yeah. And the funny thing is if you train really well and train really hard, you're going to get really, really physically tired. So you're going to sleep really, really well. And when you sleep really well, you're going to get really hungry when you wake up because your body's going to need the energy to replace all the energy you use the day before in your training cycle. So you're going to eat really, really well and eat a lot of food. And guess what? It happens in a cycle and it just keeps going. I love that. <laughs> it just keeps, just, keep, just keeps going. <laughs> There we go. There we go. There is a there is a tweet that I put up yesterday. I'm gonna actually read it out. In a world full of waist trainers, diet pills, cleansers, detox teas, and cellulite creams, just learn how to eat for your goals, train for your results, and be damn patient. It's crazy people spend so much money on cool sculpting and other false promises, yet call tracking food obsessive. Like Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, it really, really is. But I think Aaron actually really summed that up well. But to some all of that up in total when Aaron said, oh, I want to look like this chick, she has the body, blah, 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 which is kind of what we said in the last podcast. You're asking the wrong questions for starters. Like just the fact that she said she trains at 10 a.m. Well, if she even says I train at 10 a.m. blah, 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 blah. She is clearly showing one, her priorities. Two, she's clearly showing the structure in her life. Three, she has a life as well because she's probably a mom. She has other things to juggle. It's just that she knows that her health, her body, all that shit is important. Like I just said, it's not obsessive. Looking after these things takes away the obsession of worrying about all the shit that we spoke about this podcast and actually seeing results to amplify your life. So you have the energy, you have the focus, the capacity to do all the things you want to do instead of wasting time in and out of the doctor's office, getting told that you need this miracle pill, you need a seed cycle and Go keto. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to let you sum it up with pretty much just a quote that you can, well, quote something from that last little bit about the influence and the control, and then I'll finish it off. Yeah, uh, I think whatever it was that, I can't even remember what I said, it was really good, but um, the, uh, you know, well, I mean, yeah, like you can't, you can't control what you can't control. It's really like, that. that's it. It's kind of like, don't, stop trying to control things you can't control. Understand and accept that you can't control it and just work with it. Um, okay. And whatever it was that I said like three minutes ago, that was a really good line. I'm going to get it on a bumper sticker after you release this. I feel like it was a really good line and I don't remember it, which always happens. <laughs> it, was, it was really, really good. Stop, like seriously, stop trying to control shit and realize yeah. that you can influence it through your behaviors, your thoughts, your actions. But yeah. you can't control that shit, and trying to control it is yeah. what was it? Just ju- justifying where you're at yeah. by blaming it on something out of your control. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> the word justify, and it yeah. brings me back to the you need to know what's a valid reason and what's you justifying your excuses into what's holding you back. Yeah. So yeah, I think that sums it up really nicely. I'm gonna put Aaron's links below again. If you haven't listened to our first podcast, go listen to it. This, like this whole series that we made has been a blast and I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot from it. So let us know if you have any other questions because the other one raised quite a lot, which led to this amazing conversation. So yeah, give it a rating, give it a like, give us a shout out, reach out to either one of us because we are not that doctor that will just give you whatever the hell we're actually going to put you in the right direction. And definitely. Yeah. Thank you for coming on again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on again.